visit patreon.com slash sword and laser. Sword and Laser hopes you will enjoy this program. Hey everyone, welcome to the Sword and Laser. I'm Veronica Belmont. And I'm Tom Merritt. Sword and Laser is a book club, but it's so much more. We bring you author interviews, news from the world of science fiction and fantasy, and awesome discussions from fans just like you. Now do it again with a Jamaican accent. Oh, no, no, <laughs> not going to be good for anybody. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, no, no. I, now I'm laughing too hard. I couldn't even do it if I try. <laughs> Let's just say that's going to be a conversation that Veronica and I have this Saturday. Yeah, I'm, I'm sh- are, should we tell them why? Sure. If we, if we tell them peek. why, then it will force me to do it. Yeah. Veronica's going to record the audiobook for my next novel, Gallium. And I have to do voices, not really voices, more, mm-hmm. you know, intonations. You have to keep the characters separate. I have to That's... be characters. Yeah. Um, and my husband was making fun of me because I'm very bad at accents. And whenever I try to do a Scottish accent, for example, it turns Jamaican. <laughs> and I don't know why. So we'll see how That's it goes. That's why all the characters in the audiobook of Gallium will be Jamaican. That's why they pay me the big bucks. Are you, pay- are you paying me? Are you paying me? I don't remember. Yes. No, okay. we talked about that. Remember? <laughs> what are you drinking, Tom? I was drinking a Strongbow Cider. It's done. I also was drinking a Unalu Rosé from Scribe Vineyards uh, here in Sonoma. Uh, hmm, I am good. also done. Well, I've now changed the segment to what were we drinking <laughs> I really thought you were going to write, what was we drinking? What was we drinking? What was we drinking? What was we drinking? How grammar? Uh, how is Babby formed? How girl get pregnant? <laughs> how drink? Deep cuts. Deep, deep cuts. Let's jump into the quick burns. So this is interesting. Uh, Netflix is going to launch a book franchise, including a prequel about Eleven's mom. So... Kind of more of a cord cutting study. We actually talked about it on Cord Killers too, but uh, a watershed moment where we've got Star Wars uh, novelization, Star Trek, Doctor Who, mm-hmm. um, Outlander preceded. I guess that one doesn't count because it was a book first, but you know, like lots of TV franchises have decided to have novelization series. And so this is the first time that a, a Netflix show has been popular enough that they're going to partner with Penguin Random House and make some books. Yeah, this is super inter- interesting, actually, because uh, it's going to be based on the the life, I think, as you said, of uh, Eleven's mother. Yeah, this first one is, for sure. Right, the first one. and It's like it, a prequel, it, exactly. Yeah, a prequel. And it takes place at the Hawkins National Laboratory. Um, and what, what IO9 says, uh, which I find fascinating, is that the program that they were involved in was completely real. Uh, and, and this is, of course, the, the 1953 to 1964 uh, CIA experiments around LSD. And this is extra interesting to me because I'm currently reading right now uh, Michael Pollan's new book, um, which is How to Change Your Mind, The New Science Behind Psychedelics. And it talks about this program and how it was awful because they essentially dosed hundreds of people with LSD, many of them without their knowledge, to see how they would react and respond to the the, the psychoactive elements of, of the drug. Um, this was 
around also the time, you know, that Timothy Leary did his um, did his acid tests and actually gave the study of psychedelics a really bad name because he didn't follow the scientific method in many of the the, the cases. Um, and there was a lot of anyway, I could do a whole podcast about this. It's a really interesting book. And so I think it's interesting also to read a fictionalized. This is the real thing. You're talking a little bit about about the actual MK Ultra, but as you have learned about it through this Thank book, you. Yeah. yes, MK Ultra was the the code name of the experiments, um, and this also is also commonly referred to as the CIA mind control experiments. If you've heard that bandied about, that's MK Ultra. Tom, maybe we should do an episode. <laughs> oh, I'm I was way into this. I actually have a CIA interrogation manual. What that came in through the bookstore, like the procedures you would use in interrogating people. And, and this was it's from, from the 70s. Half price so, books. Yeah, it was when I worked at Half Price Books. Wow. Cool. Um, well, I mean scary, because that that stuff is dark and scary. But anyway, all right, cool. Well, that's I'm I'm excited about the the Stranger Things prequel books as well. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> back to the actual <laughs> story. Uh the MK Ultra does figure into this first book, but it won't be in every book. They're gonna do lots of books in the universe. So mm-hmm. tie-in fiction for a Netflix show. Pretty cool. Very, very cool idea. Jessica says the Firefly crew returns in a brand new book series. It says Titan Books and 20th Century Fox consumer products have teamed up to publish a new series of official titles within the Firefly canon with Joss Whedon serving as consulting editor. The first book, Firefly Big Damn Hero by Nancy Holder, hits shelves in October. Captain Malcolm Reynolds finds himself in a dangerous situation after being kidnapped by a bunch of embittered veteran browncoats. Mm. Wait a minute. <laughs> Wait a minute. Yeah. So uh, it's it's going. To, it sounds like they're going to set most of these in the period between the end of the TV show and the beginning of Serenity, the movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I assume that means we'll get Wash <laughs> still. <laughs> oh, oh. Too soon. Uh, I don't know if it's even too soon. Okay. But it will be thrilling heroics. I'm excited. I mean, anything in the Firefly Firefly universe is is good for me. I'm stoked. Dara writes, not SFF related, but the outcome of this could have genre-wide impacts. For anyone not following along, the romance world has been disarray because an author tried to trademark the word cocky and is now using it as a cudgel against fellow authors, threatening them with lawsuits and forcing them to change their book titles, or at least trying to. Uh, The EFF has a rundown of events uh, and, and Dara says, can you imagine if someone trademarked Galaxy or Space Station or Sword? Uh, the outcome of this case will have far-reaching ramifications. Now, here's <laughs> the thing. Mm-hmm. It's a common piece of clickbait to be like, so-and-so is trying to trademark the word blueberry so that you won't f- be illegal for you to say the word blueberry or buy blueberries at the store. They can't call them blueberry. That's not how trademark works. Trademark is, I'm going to use this name to identify my business, so anybody who does a similar business can't call that similar business the same thing, right? Hence, Mm -hmm. BlackBerry, which is why I chose Blueberry, uh, Mm. the company BlackBerry can trademark the word BlackBerry. But what that means is anybody else who makes electronics can't also call their electronics company BlackBerry. It doesn't mean you can't call Blackberries Blackberries anymore. <laughs> so so right. what's earning this particular author, Felina Hopkins, the bad, the bad reputation here is not that she trademarked the cocky series because 
that is okay. You can't trademark a book title, but you can trademark a series. There's nothing wrong with her trademarking the cocky series and saying, hey, if anybody else calls their series the cocky series, I'm going to be like, hey, hold on. What happened, though, is she started to try to stop people from using titles that had cocky in it, claiming, trying to claim, well, it's confusing. People will think the book Cocky Fiance is part of my series because they're using the word cocky. And at first, Amazon and Audible were sort of auto-removing titles and (gasps) causing people to change their titles because they were just responding to the letter. She would send the legal letter. They'd be like, oh, I guess she owns the trademark. You know, it's it, we checked it out. There's really a trademark and pull it down until people started to point out like, no, she doesn't get to do that. Uh, and Amazon has now changed their behavior and realized what was going on. But she was kind of taking advantage mm-hmm. of the system. I, w- I just want to read these two paragraphs uh, from the EFF uh, post about this, because I think this is probably the best thing the EFF has ever had to write on their website. Are you ready? Mm hmm. Authors T.L. Smith and Melissa Jane were contacted by Audible about their upcoming book, Cocky Fiancé, telling them they had received a notice that their title was infringing. They all got an email from Hopkins, followed very quickly, they told Vox, by a notice from Amazon about infringement. Seeing that Hopkins did have a registered mark, the two changed their book title to Arrogant Fiancé and ate the cost of the merchandise with Cocky Fiancé printed on it. They were not alone. Jamila Jasper reported getting a letter for her book, Cocky Cowboy, which has since been renamed The Cockiest Cowboy to Ever Cocked. Author Tara Crescent, whose cocky series predates Hopkins, also received a notice from Amazon. Claire Kingsley told Slate that she was contacted by Hopkins last summer before Hopkins had the trademark and was told to change the title of her cocky roommate. And there are many more said to have been contacted and had books removed from Amazon in a kerfuffle known as hashtag cockygate. <laughs> so, first of all, if there was a cocky series before, then the trademarking office got this wrong. But even mm-hmm. so, Amazon, uh, and and they're not alone, YouTube, etc., all are kind of operating in fear of copyright law to the point that they assume if anyone accuses We're just going to take it down because that's what the Digital Millennium Copyright Act says is if we just respond uh, and take things down, then we won't get in trouble. Uh, And so it took the Romance Writers Association to contact Amazon and go, hey, hold on. We're not behind this. You can't do this. Here's why. Uh, It's just we we still have very bad copyright law Uh, and and big companies uh, create systems that that make it easy to abuse, especially for independent authors who don't have the wherewithal to fight back. Well, that is, uh, I have definitely been on both the receiving and giving end of DMCA takedown notices. Oh, me too. So I I know how frustrating it can be for sure. Do you remember when we had someone send us a YouTube video to include on the Sword and Laser video episode? Then we included it in the episode, posted the episode, and YouTube's content ID took down his original video for being a copyright violation of because our repost of his video. Us <laughs> using his video in our show. Oh, like, the that's system the is kind broken. of stuff that happens. We're we're like, we didn't do it. Nobody did it. It just happened because the robot was out there like right, trying to enforce right. the rules. Yeah. Ugh. 
Megan says Mortal Engines is getting the big screen treatment by Peter Jackson. Didn't see it on the SNL bookshelf, but it has been discussed a couple of times as a sci-fi recommendation, according to Megan. And yeah, there's a great post up on over on Slash Film uh, all about it. Uh, the post says, I don't envy anyone having to cut a trailer for Mortal Engines. Based on the novel by author Philip Reeve, this big budget genre epic is set in a universe that feels like a bit of a tough sell. The world as we once knew it is gone, and civilization has become mobile. Giant traction cities roam the wasteland, preying on each other for parts and supplies, manned like giant ships in a sea of sand. Is that supposed to be tractor cities? Because it says traction cities, but no, that looks I like a tractor. tractor. Like they use traction, uh, tr- tractors often use traction, but they, they use traction as the, the motivating uh, okay. feature. If you watch the trailer, you'll see what I mean. It's kind of like a bulldozer uh, sort of situation, but, but yeah, uh, the book is about cities in a post-apocalyptic earth that have gone mobile and just Mm -hmm. roam the earth and big cities like London often prey on smaller cities. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so you got to watch this trailer. Uh, this movie comes out (laughs) December 14th. So we've got a little time. Uh, it's Peter Jackson behind it. It cast includes Hugo weaving, uh, and, uh, Lila George and Hera Hilmer and Robert Sheehan, uh, it it looks it looks really good. I love that special effects are so awesome. Special effects and practical effects are so amazing now that we can have movies like this and they look really freaking amazing and realistic and beautiful. Um, so I'm I'm stoked for this one. I, yeah. I feel like I should read the book too. It does the sound official, like a lot of people are into it. The official synopsis says gigantic moving cities now roam the earth, ruthlessly playing upon smaller traction towns. Uh, Robert Sheehan plays Tom Natsworthy, who hails from a lower tier of the great traction city of London, finds himself fighting for his own survival after he encounters the dangerous fugitive Hester Shaw, played by Hera Hilmar, two opposites whose paths should never have crossed. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, I guess we'll go ahead and drop the hint. Um, I believe this is what I'm going to pick for the, the laser pick next month. Next month, so in July, August. No, because we already selected the July you did, pick. You did, yeah. It's Mortal Engines. <laughs> no, I didn't. No, I was just saying for some time later. But we picked the book that we're going to read with the ladies from, yeah, yeah, which is Mortal Engines. Oh, it is. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Yeah. Really? <laughs> yeah. Is that's in the that's in the email? Because you know, the other day I was like, "What is the book that Tom said we were going to read? I'm going to go download <laughs> it." And then I didn't check, and then all of this happened. It's, and that seems like a really great coincidence. It's Mortal Engines, yeah. Sweet. All right, cool. Then I guess I get to read it. By the way, the book for July is Mortal Engines. <laughs> and by the way, we are going to read it along with the Great Reading Glasses uh, podcast that is hosted by Mallory O'Mara and Bree Grant. Woohoo! I'm excited for that. It's going to be a fun one. So we'll have a, some kind of fun dual episode uh, coming up soon. Yeah. All right. Well. Well, uh, Tomp said fantasy author Brandon Sanderson is teaming with Fremantle Media North America to develop a TV drama series. Mm-hmm. Uh, includes the development of the drama Dark One for television. Sanderson is concurrently creating a graphic novel that will pub- be published by Vault Comics and writing a supplementary multi-volume book series that will expand on the storyline from the show and further explore subsidiary characters. Uh, There will be a Dark One podcast. It's a dramatic fantasy adventure spotlighting a young man who sees visions of strange and fantastical worlds. This is a cool 
it's not the first time this has ever been done, but a cool new possible trend where instead of saying, hey, you wrote a cool thing, we want to turn it into a TV show, they go to an author and say, you you come up with stories, come up with a story that we can make into a TV show and a graphic novel and a book and a podcast, like right from the get-go. It'd be interesting to see how this works. Sounds like he's going to be busy. <laughs> yes, he's a busy man. <laughs> Mayor says, I attended a presentation by Dr. David Brin, part of a series of science lectures hosted by the Museum of Science Fiction in the District of Columbia area. And he mentioned a database he's founded in conjunction with the Arthur C. Clarke Center for Human Imagination at the University of California at San Diego, where science fiction plots are stored in a database. The intent is businesses or organizations and scientists don't have to reinvent the wheel. Use the database to look for similar ideas by authors or screenwriters, and then use the already existing research to inform their work. Folks like us can provide references to authors, screenwriters, or stories for questions that have been asked. The database and the website is here, T-A-S-A-T, there's a story about that, at tasat.ucsd.edu. We'll have a link for that in the show notes. Yeah, so um, I, I, I'm i having a hard time making it work, but I wonder if it's just some kind of... Uh, uh, I don't know, some kind of browser issue because I've searched for time travel and robots and it said, sorry, nothing matched your filter. <laughs> and I'm like, do I have the wrong filter on? Because I bet there are stories in the database about robots. I'm just saying. All right. So if we go to browse the uh, categories here, let's see. Um, sorting out the vehicles. <laughs> what? All right. Okay. Ooh, here's a good topic. The end of gender and sexuality as we know it. Is there a story about the end or the reshape of the conception of gender and sexuality as we know it today? Hmm. And the first, what do you, th what, do you, Tom, Tom, don't click on it. What do you think the first example is? Which is what I hoped it would be. Uh, is it something we've read recently? It is. Yeah. It is. Uh, does the author live in England? No, Maybe. I don't think so. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe you should probably listen to Sword and Laser. It's the left hand of darkness. Yeah. Oh no. Okay. No, I was thinking it was River Solomon. Of course, no, it's left hand yes. of darkness. Yeah. Left hand of darkness. Yeah. So that was cool. I got a thing. That's what I would have recommended. Tom I, stunned into silence I by am. my I'm amazing totally intelligence. No, I'm actually like I. I need to stop playing with this database. And go, <laughs> go back to the show. <laughs> well, there is your problem. Uh, thank uh, you for this for cool. this link, though. This is great. I love it. I feel like I could spend a lot of time on this site. Yeah, me too. It's like um the TV Tropes website. That was one of my favorite sites that Roger Chang showed me way way back in the day. Yeah, uh, I, I spent hours on TV Tropes. When I first discovered it, too. Still, still a great site. All right. Well, now it is time for Bear Your Sword, which is our feedback from the audience. Our first post that we're going to talk about today comes from Jason. Uh, he says, I like to start audiobooks at normal speed and then crank it up a little <laughs> every hour or so. Sometimes I can get to 1.5 speed before it starts to become an intelligible to me, developing, depending on the narrator. I've heard people talk about listening at 2.0 and faster. Do any of you listen to them at that speed? I've tried. If I'm not laser focused on it, I can't understand half of what's going on, even books I've listened to already. This is a huge point of contention in my home. Um, why which contention? Is why I picked this story uh -huh. uh, because though it is not 
specifically linked to audiobooks as part of the contentious issue. Mm-hmm. It, it is, is linked specifically to podcasts. Okay. And when my husband Ryan and I listen to podcasts, he always listens at 1.5. And to me... So you listen to, first of all, <laughs> back up, you listen to podcasts together. Yes. Interesting. I don't think I've ever done that with Eileen. Really? Never. So we listen when we're folding laundry okay. and we listen in the car. Huh. Now, we always listen to music in the car and mm. yeah, we never listen to podcasts around the house. So anyway, we I do that. I not that into podcasts. Uh, okay. That'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> she doesn't think it's a, it's a true art form. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. No, I'm putting words in her mouth. She's never said that. <laughs> Um, yeah, so we listen to we listen to shows and Ryan always listens to it extra fast and it drives me insane. So yeah, no, I get it now because it's shared listening and mm-hmm. if you're not both on the same page, that that could drive me up a wall. Absolutely. And it it sounds like Tazzy Dave agrees that he says he says anything faster than normal speed sounds weird to me. Uh to me, it's very distracting to hear it sped up. And I feel also kind of this is gonna sound super nerdy. I feel kind of offended in a way, because I'm like, as an audio producer, I like to, I, I, and you know, especially with something like IRL, where we put a lot of thought into the sound and the background, don't you sigh at me, don't you effing sigh at me, Tom Merritt. I put a lot, we put a lot of thought into the production of the show and yeah. how it's meant to be heard. And you know, the, the sound other thing cues. that's annoying is when people actually are doing chores around the house while listening, instead of paying close attention to that work no, that you created for them. it's not the same it's not the same. Anyway, so I feel you. I feel you, you guys. The only time I've ever listened sped up to audiobooks is when I have got to finish a book in time for the show. That's like really the, the only time is when I'm... As ash to the ground. And that is the least of my powers. Can you do as much? All night I stared at those logs. I could not. My that sounds born, like garbage. That sounds like garbage. Is that That's Cersei? That's how I listened to, to all of Cersei. Oh, God, it's such a beautiful book. See, I feel like we didn't even read the same book. No, and here's why. Uh, You are not adapted. Don't you groan at me, Veronica Belmont. I'm taking another deep breath. I let you give your entire Uh, screed against double speed, and I support you in the shared listening of everybody needs to agree on the speed when they listen that's, you know, that's a group listening thing. But alone, in my own headphones, I listen to podcasts at 2.25, and I listen 2. to audiobooks. 2.25? And I listen to audiobooks at 2x sometimes. How now, do you? A, a lot. Oh, just let me finish. A lot of times I will listen to audiobooks at 1x because I do prefer to be able to think about them. But if I'm like, uh, you know, I really need to get this done. I will listen to 2x, and the more that I have listened to things at higher speeds, the easier it has gotten to be able to understand them. Because the way 2x works now, they don't speed it up and it sounds like chipmunks. They just compress it. So you're getting everything you would have gotten except at a relatively faster speed, and your brain adapts to that, and it sounds like normal speed after a while. And that's the thing that people that don't listen to 2x either don't want to get used to, which is perfectly fair, or don't realize that, oh, it sounds awful to you because you're like, I, 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 I'm not, my brain is not tuned to that speed. But once it does get tuned to that speed, it's like the entire world can be flipped upside down 
right? You can have those mm-hmm. glasses that turn the world upside down. And at first you're like, this is ridiculous. Everything's upside down. But then after a while, your brain just automatically flips it so that you see the world right side up. And then when you take the glasses off, the world looks upside down again because your brain is adapted. It does that with the speed as well. Well, Matthias or Mat- Matthias agrees with you. Uh, he says, I do 2.5 speed pretty comfortably, but I've been speed listening for over a decade, so I've had a lot of practice. It took me a long time to get here, and I had a lot of small steps along the way. Find a speed you're comfortable with and stick with that for a while. Then occasionally try to go a little bit faster for a bit and see how that works for you. Only if you feel you'll benefit from listening at double speed. There is no reason to listen at double speed other than saving time. I'm just saying the guys from Reply all agree with me, so I feel pretty good about my stance that it's wrong and bad. A lot of people agree with things you disagree with, so they're right too. Yeah, yeah. Can't (laughs) tell if I actually agree or not. I feel strongly either way. No, uh, all right. no, it's I, true. I'm just joking. You guys no, should listen to audio however you want to. Obviously, that's fine. I'm just teasing because this is, like I said, a very... Uh, hit close a, to home. It, it hit a little close to home. I had some feelings about that for mm-hmm. sure. I uh, yeah. brought up some old uh, old, old feelings from last Sunday night, folding laundry <laughs> in my house, being like, I swear to God, husband, you put that to 1X or else... I yeah. will fold your underwear weird. That's a whole different that's a whole different situation. Like if you've got two people listening and their brains are tuned to different speeds, mm-hmm. like yeah. No, you got to you got to all agree on an acceptable speed. I guess. So we have had a uh, a thread going on over in the forums for many a moon at this point. Mm. Years, I think. And it, of course, is uh, not the FAQ page, which is also uh, a longstanding thread. Damn. Maybe, maybe the second most longest standing thread, which is the Kindle and other ebooks daily deal. Um, every day, group members post what the Kindle daily deal is in this thread. So you can buy cheap books. It's great. Um, but I wanted to point this one out because not only is there a lot of really great stuff, including, I believe, uh, some selections from the Expanse series recently. I believe Leviathan Wakes was on there. Um, yes, uh, that was back on June 8th. So you, you missed your shot on that one. But good stuff like that shows up every once in a while. It's just but an s- example. Yeah, it's an example. Uh, but specifically, uh, Shad noted, and I had also seen on the Tor.com Twitter account earlier today, that A Darker Shade of Magic, uh, which was a previous Sword and Laser book club pick, is free from Tor as part of their ebook club book of the month. Um, so you can check that out. You can download it for th- free actually through June 15th. So do it today. So many of you probably missed it and we apologize. But hey, go to that thread and find out what the new free book is if it's past June 15th. I feel like I should create some kind of bot or something that will post the, maybe I should just post it on Twitter every day or something. I think some way for people to know about this kind of stuff would be cool. I mean, I guess you could also follow Amazon because they probably have it on their Twitter account. Uh, Or go to this thread. (laughs) (laughs) Or go to this thread and just check it every day, whichever, whatever (laughs) works for you. But I thought that was pretty cool. So thank you everyone who posts in there and lets everybody know about the, the great deals. All right, let's, uh, let's talk book of the month. Let's talk book. How does book work? How book get pregnant? <laughs> With pauses? <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> that was good. That was good, Tom. Thank you. So, uh, yes. So, yeah, we're, we're reading uh, Circe by Madeline Miller, uh, which is 
uh, you know, as as we kicked off uh, last time, based on the Greek myths around Circe. And we talked a lot about Madeline Miller and who she is last time. We didn't talk a lot about Circe herself. Um, and she is probably one of the lesser known. She's probably not one that you immediately go, oh, Apollo, right. Yeah, no, I mm-hmm, know who mm-hmm. Apollo is. Oh, um, uh, Mars or Ares, Ares, the god of war, right? Oh, Athena, goddess of wisdom, yeah. Circe is a, what, what, what is she? Is she a? She's a, a nymph, right? She's a dryad, I think. No, I think she's a, she's a, I'm pretty sure she's a nymph. I thought she had nymphs on the island with her and she was, uh, is she like yeah, a greater? Yeah, she is a nymph. Oh, yeah. she's a, she's a meta nymph, I guess. Um, but anyway, uh, she's the daughter nymphia. of Helios, the god of the sun and Percy, uh, and one of 3,000 Oceanid nymphs. Her brothers were Aetes, keeper of the Golden Fleece, and Perses. Her sister was Pasipha, the wife of King Minos and the mother of the Minotaur. And uh, she also uh, turned uh, Scylla into a savage beast. I thought that it was Scylla. Scylla, in- you're right. It's Scylla. Yeah. Uh, that shows up in the Odyssey. Um, so fun fact, fun Veronica fact, first mm. of all, uh, my first uh, Torin shaman's name was Pasiphae. Oh, really? Uh, and based on the fact that she is the mother of the Minotaur. Yeah. So this book is a telling of this from Cersei's perspective. And Cersei is usually shown as kind of a mean person and an evil person. And and she doesn't, you know, she's she's not a trickster, but like you don't want to trust her. If you read all the Greek myths, this is one of those great stories where she's not all bad and you find out why she does the bad things she does. And I feel like if Greek mythology and even in the book, it's sort of hinted that this is the case. If Greek mythology is the clickbait tabloid (laughs) headline news of Greek, uh, this is the bio that gets behind the scenes and tells you the real Circe. That's the feeling. Now, of course, it's all mythology, right? But I, I really feel like that's what Madeline Miller has done. It's like, oh, that's why people Ooh. think her she's like that. Oh, that's why the bull, the Minotaur actually was born. You know, like this is it this could is be cool like. Stuff. Wait, Tom, is it like Circe behind the music <laughs> behind the nymphic? Because <laughs> she's not a muse. She's, she's a not nymph. a muse. Well, I mean, she could be a muse. She was kind. Mm. No, the muses yeah. are. Are the muses nymphs, actually? The sirens, I think, are water nymphs. Uh, each of nine goddesses, the daughters of Zeus, are, are the muses. Look up look up the uh, sirens. I think they're I think they're nymphs. I I thought they were like just creatures. Are they just creatures? Oh no, yeah. you're right. They're um they're bird ladies. They're like they? monsters, yeah. They're like, um, what are the, in World of Warcraft, what are they called? I can't remember. Oh, right. Yeah. No, I can't remember what they're called either, but I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this is, this is great. And actually something that, that came to mind when I first started reading this book was like, oh, I know a lot of these myths. Am I spoiling myself? Am I spoiling myself? And Phil over on the forums, uh, said the same thing. He said, Cersei spoiled by mythology. Come join me in my mind for this thought experiment, says Phil. There's lots of empty space, so you'll all fit. (laughs) That was very self-deprecating, Phil. No need for that. One, a lot of people here hate spoilers. Two, a lot of people here love this book. Three, a lot of people here know a fair amount of Greek mythology. 
I imagine a Venn diagram of these three groups would have a pretty big intersection in the middle. So my question is, why aren't there a lot of people complaining that life has spoiled this book for them? There's probably dozens of plot points about characters and places and events that you already know about. So is the writing so good that it overrides any spoilery stuff? That has never seemed to matter when people have complained about spoilers before. I'm not trying to be jerky, but the whole spoiler phobia thing has always baffled me a little, and I'm curious about the unique circumstances of this book. Now, Tom, as Veronica speaking, no longer Phil, I feel like you already touched on this a little bit, which mm. is that we are seeing the mythologies play out, but also from a new perspective, mm -hmm. which I think kind of gives it a very different kind of feeling. So we we know in the back of our minds, like, for example, every, most people know about Icarus and, and know what befalls Icarus. He flies too close to the sun. Spoiler. Spoiler. <laughs> So when you hear, you know, when when we meet uh, when we meet Daedalus and we meet Icarus and, and that whole situation, which is not too hopefully spoilery, we we know what ultimately will befall at least Icarus. So there's things like you, you know, the characters, you recognize their names, you know where they fit in in the greater storyline. We meet Odysseus, for example. We we are most of us are very familiar with with the Odyssey and what befalls Odysseus and and the the larger points at least with what happens in that tale, we know who Athena is. We know who Apollo is. We know that Zeus is kind of a dick. We know all these things to be true. Now that started to sound like opinion there when you're talking about Zeus, but all right, all right. keep keep going. We know Zeus can't keep it in his pants at least <laughs> at the very least. That's factual. <laughs> That's very factual. Um, so you know, there's there's a lot in there that I think we recognize and relate to. But what I think changes it, as you said, is, is that perspective, is that modern voice, that that reach telling of of how the stories actually went down from from her point of view which i think is is really fresh and new and and one of the reasons why i believe as you mentioned on on a previous episode why it took her so long to write this book because she really wanted to nail that yeah i love this post by phil uh and we i i don't think we should go into the responses from people you, sh you should go read them if you want uh but there are a lot of responses and i'm going to categorize them and i'm and i'm not uh, disparaging them uh, in any way. They're all honest responses and they're great. But there are responses that are like, oh, well, I don't really know mythology as well. Great. Phil's not talking about you, right? Mm -hmm. If this is new to you, then yeah, you are you don't fall into Phil's thought experiment. There were other people who said, well, I, I don't mind spoilers unless it's a twist, right? And mm. and it, Phil's not talking about you either. You're, <laughs> you're the old style spoiler averse, mm -hmm. which is like, don't tell me about the sixth sense. Don't tell me about the crying game twist. You know, but there is a large uh, strain of people who don't want to know anything about a book that that if you tell them characters or you you tell them minor plot points, even uh, that's a spoiler. Don't say anything. And it becomes restrictive. Can you imagine if we held mythology to that standard and said, hey, I haven't read the myth of Icarus uh, all of a sudden? All of the illusions that people make in Shakespeare, do uh, you can't read Shakespeare because it'll spoil myths for you. So I love what the point that Phil's bringing up is like, hold on. First of all, knowing plot points doesn't spoil the story. And Cersei is a perfect example of why, because even though you know all these things Veronica just enumerated, you still love the story. Mm -hmm. And so maybe 
we just need to chill out a little <laughs> on being spoiler averse. I, I don't think anyone disagrees that like- This is Tom's secret agenda. <laughs> By the way, this is Tom's agenda. So no, it's take not. that with a grain of salt. I'm I, just saying. No, it's not my agenda. See, now you've undermined my point. Oh. I don't have an agenda. This is how people, this is why we can't have conversations mm-hmm. anymore. Oh, you've got it. You're saying this because you have a secret agenda. That's that's also one of my agendas is to get rid of that idea. Mm. Um, but no, it's, it's it, we we are sort of, I, I my theory actually, the, here's my secret agenda, is that it's a, a small number of loud people who who bring up this idea of like, don't ever say anything without a spoiler alert. Because don't think anybody wants to spoil endings. I don't think anybody wants to spoil twists. Uh, and I don't think anybody wants to spoil big surprises. But some people are so much a surprise fetish that they're like, I don't even want to watch the trailer. I don't even want to, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to hear a thing. And that's fine. I'll respect that. But mm-hmm. then don't come to a show or a forum thread or or somewhere that that is meant to discuss these things because you're going to find out something about you're going to find out stuff yeah it's just going to be so i'm not saying i want to spoil stuff and i don't want to be spoiled on stuff but there is a line where it's like well telling me there's a lion in the in the story somewhere is not a spoiler to me and some people think it is when you head over to goodreads saying spoiler man don't talk to me Tom are, is gonna tell you. Let it be. We're uh, we're starting a um, a, a folk band to, mm. to, to sing about the issues of the day. <laughs> I'm no Tanya. Sorry, everybody. That was my medicine. best my best effort. Yeah, maybe we should leave that to Tanya. <laughs> I it's need good, more time. It's a good effort, though. Oh, thank you. I like. That's like an spoiler man in there. Yeah, spoiler man. I, I love that. That was yeah, that was good thank work. You. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think I, I loved this book. I thought it was great. And actually, I do want to read the Achilles book that she also wrote. She wrote mm-hmm. a book about Achilles, um, which I'm not sure if we mentioned last time either. It's in uh, the briefing. I can't remember if we actually brought it up. Okay. Or, yeah. yeah. So she she wrote the Song of Achilles uh, before Circe. And Circe is mentioned in that story as well. So um, as, as Tasha was saying in the forums, it'd be interesting to see how those two tie together as well. Um, so yeah, it's it's it was a great book. I really enjoyed it. And I, I forgot how much I loved Greek mythology. And I kind of forgot, like, I had been reminded recently by reading Scourged uh, by Kevin Hearn, how much the, the Greek and Roman gods and goddesses are kind of just petty all the time. And this definitely uh, holds true. I mean, it, it's true in the source material, but it, it holds true in the retellings as well. Terrible people. I, Just you terrible. Know, I think you can you can spin them either way. And, and and in Circe, what she's doing is saying, the gods that you think are great, like Athena, maybe not so great. And and, and the, the nymphs that you've heard of that are awful, like Circe, maybe not so bad. Like, you know, and that's that's just more interesting if your expectations are subverted that way. Indeed. Although as a big fan of Athena, I did not like how she was portrayed. I wanted her to have like owls and stuff. Where were her owls at? Where your owls at, Athena? Where your owls at? From the front to back. <laughs> okay, that was bad. That was we will super be starting bad. a hip hop band now. Oh please no! Nobody needs that. From me, from me. Maybe someone else can or have me. a hip hop sci fi fantasy band. Not, yes. not, not me today. Talented people, please apply. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think that wraps up our episode, Tom. <laughs> yes, it does. Uh, very nicely too. 
Yes, our show. Of course, it's currently entirely funded by our patrons. Thank you so much to the folks who back our show. If you want to help us out, head over to patreon.com slash sword and laser. And I've added many a new book to Lem's library if you are a patron at that level. So check it out. Thanks to everybody who supported uh, my ink shares. Uh, Trigger is funded. Woo! So there will be a sequel to Pilot X uh, coming out sometime, probably March of next year. So thank you in advance for your patience and your support. Uh, you can also support this show by buying books through our links. Find links to the books we talk about and some of our favorites at swordandlaser.com slash picks. Send us an email, please, at feedback at swordandlaser.com. Our website is swordandlaser.com. All of our discussions happen over on goodreads.com slash swordandlaser. And you can call and leave us a voicemail at 415-7-SWORD-6. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye. Audio program so good, it's like you're there!